two billion people lost forever. Two billion people in the world today never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was, uh, I, I, it, last, Pastor Travis asked me to, last, text me last Friday night and asked me if I'd be willing to fill in for him. And, and, and I, didn't, I didn't know it at the time, but earlier in the week before that, God began to speak to me and God began to, to some, some share some things with me. And I didn't realize that it was going to be my notes for my sermon until Saturday night when, when Pastor Travis texted me. And then he preached last Saturday so incredibly well on this, on, I'm going to, for, for lack of better terms, on the state of the church. And I, and I, not that I'm piggybacking off of them, but I think we kind of tie in together with what I'm going to share this morning. And because I believe, and this is, this is my personal opinion, I believe that the church in the United States is at a very critical point. We're either going to choose to accomplish the purpose that God has set for us, or we're going to become irrelevant in the world as far as a Christian nation, and irrelevant as far as the church. The, the, the places, Africa is, is growing faster than we are as far as Christians. And Indonesia and China are seeing people come to Christ faster. than in, in, in America, if you do the study, they say this year 1.2 million people are going to leave the church in America this year. 1.2 million by the end of the year are going to leave the church in America. Missionaries say that now the United States is the most fertile ground for missionaries. Africa and other nations are now sending missionaries from their country to America to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in America. We're at a very critical point, I believe. And when I say church this morning, because you're going to hear me say the word church a lot, and I don't want you to think I'm talking about the Pulaski Church of God. I'm talking about the church in whole this morning. I'm talking about the body of Christ the Ecclesiastes, the called out ones who are called out by God to do his purpose and his will, which is what? To go into the world and make disciples of every creature. To go into the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I was, I was doing a little research. Well, let me, let me say this. I, I have, I want to go in about a hundred different ways. That my mind is racing in about a million different ways of how I want to go with this. But I'm, I'm going to say something. I, I, I have... For the first time ever in my life, this election season, Kenny, has caused me to be a political junkie. I don't know what it is about this election cycle. Normally, I just do my research on the candidate that I'm going to vote for. And, but I have been enthralled, Tony, by this presidential election. I have been captivated. I stay up late watching presidential debates. I don't know why. Pray for me. <laughs> I can't figure this out. And I mean, I have watched, I have watched men who are supposed to be the greatest this country has to offer act worse than eighth graders in middle school in a high school locker room. With their name calling, and I'm like, man, what? The world has to be laughing at us right now. And I, I have been enthralled and and, and but, but something has caught my attention, and, and listen to me. I'm not endorsing a political candidate up here by any means, shape, or form, and this is not a political message. It just helps me get into the point of where I'm going. But there's this one thing that keeps jumping out at me, Tony, that one of the political candidates has built his platform on, and it's this. We need to make America great again. 
We need to make America great again. And that's been rolling around in my mind, Gene. And I travel for work now. I'm gone a couple days a week every so often. And I, I travel, you know, anywhere from three to three hours away to two hours away. I'm, I'm through all kinds of back roads going to Pikeville, Kentucky and Hazard, Kentucky and places I didn't know existed. <laughs> I grew up in West Virginia and they say West Virginia hillbillies are strange. Kentucky, we ain't got nothing on Kentuckians. And if you're from Kentucky, you probably understand that statement. I don't mean that offensive. I just mean it. There's really good people there, but they do things differently. And I travel, you know, 64 going to Nitro, West Virginia, and I take those windy roads. And there's something that's captivated me. And it's this. It's how many churches I pass. I mean, I'll pass these little communities that have four or five houses in them. And then there's a church right in the middle of it. Drive less than a fourth of a mile, and there's two churches side by side. So I got it in my head that I was going to count the number of churches I passed on the way to Pikeville, Kentucky, from my house. I'm happy to report that it lasted less than a quarter of a mile because my ADD kicked in. And I get looking at a church, and I go, wow, that's really pretty. I wonder what they do there. That's a really big building. So I've not counted, but I can tell you this. There is an enormous, enormous amount of churches in the world. There's way too many churches in the world to have two billion unreached people. Let me break it down to the United States of America. They said there's 100 million, 100 million unreached people in the United States of America. I tried to find the statistics to break it down into Virginia of how many people were in Virginia that were unreached, and I couldn't find it, so I did some simple math and took the law of averages. If you take 100 million and divide it by 50, because there's 50 states in the United States, that means on average there's 2 million unreached people in every state. So I broke it down just a little bit further, and I decided to look up. I didn't have any idea how many counties are in Virginia, but there's 95 counties in Virginia. So if you do some simple math in the law of average, it says this. There's 21,000 unreached people in Pulaski County. 21,000 on average in every county in Virginia, unreached people for Jesus Christ. And I asked myself, how can we ever become great again? And the answer is the church has to wake up and arise and begin to fulfill the mission and its purpose that Jesus Christ himself laid out for us. And I am just as guilty of it myself as a member of the church than anyone else. That I am so self-centered and so focused on my own problems and my own selfish needs that I neglect to look around me and see that there's a lost and hurting world. 
Now, some of you who've been a couple weeks on Wednesday night that I taught, you know, you're going to hear some of the same things. It's a little different because I talked about being a difference maker, but I want to talk about us being great again. And I began thinking about this, and I began remembering. I preached a message here one time when I was on staff here. I had a bed up on the stage, and I, I preached a message entitled, It Was Time to Get Out of Bed. The last giant that the children of Israel faced before they walked into their promised land, the only thing that the Bible mentions about them is the dimensions of the bed of the giant. Doesn't tell how big the giant is. It doesn't say anything else about him. It gives the dimensions of his bed. You can go look this up in the scriptures. It lays out, and it, the bed is ginormous. Ginormous. And the giant that sleeps in that bed is the last obstacle or the last giant the children of Israel have to face and defeat before they enter into their promised land. And a bed for me represents comfort and complacency. The last giant that the children of Israel had to face was their comfort and their complacency and they're willing to get outside of their comfort zone and the place where God provided them everything that they needed every day with the manna that fell from heaven they had to get out of their comfort zone move out of complacency get up and begin to move so I began thinking about that and I stopped Dr. Trish this morning and I was going to ask Dr. E to come join me on stage but I'll let you off the hook because your wife answered a question for me Dr. E he just put his head down <laughs> he's going thank you so I asked Dr. Trish this question. I said, what happens to a body when it just lays around? If a body just lays in bed, if a human being who's of perfect health just lays in bed and never moves, what happens to the body? And I'm going to do my best to explain it. If you want more clarification, you can ask the doctors. They're smarter than me. But basically, you lose your muscles, begin to deteriorate, and you lose the ability to move. You lose your muscle memory. Everything that we do is because of muscle memory, Tony. We walk because of muscle memory. And if we lay still long enough, our bodies, will, our muscles will begin to shut down and we'll lose the muscle memory and we'll have to be retaught how to walk, how to feed our everything. And I, I began to ask myself this question, has the church become so comfortable? Has the enemy placed this big bed in front of us and the church as a whole has climbed up in it and gotten comfortable under the blankets and covers and said, we're just going to maintain until Jesus comes. And because we're maintaining until Jesus comes, our muscles have lost their memory and we don't know how to move. Why do we need to move? Because Jesus said to go into the world, you can't go if you're laying still you've got to be moving to go and the church needs to get back to the basics and begin to teach itself how to crawl and how to walk and how to feed itself so that it can become a healthy body again and become great and begin to impact our communities and the world around us because there's way too many people left who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sherry asked me not to preach angry, so I'm trying not to preach angry this morning because I don't want to preach angry because I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken. I, I just, I... I I sit in my car and I, and I weep. And, 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 and again, this, I was devastated this week. The guy didn't know he devastated me, but one of my employees devastated me this week, Mark. Devastated me. 
I was in my, I was, I was traveling, I was in Pikeville, Kentucky, I was filling in for the, 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 the supervisor there, it's my job when one of them guys are gone, I go to their facility, and I maintain the facility while they're gone, and we'd send them off to do training, and I was sitting at his desk in there, and one of the, one of the mechanics who works there comes in, and he says something to me, and I was half paying attention, and he looks at me, and he goes, are you a religious fella? And when he asked me that question, my heart inside of me gripped. And I was disappointed in myself. Because if I'm truly following Christ and I'm a living example of who he is, no one should ever have to ask me, are you a religious fella? And he, it threw me way off. I said, well, yeah, man, I'm a preacher. And he got this funny look on his face. Not that I've done anything crazy or strange. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not. And, and he, he was like, okay. Well, I just want you to know God has perfect timing, and it's just amazing that I ended up in this job. And he walked out of the office, and I just put my head down, and I cried to God, and I said, God, please, please, God, let me become a living example of who you are so that I can impact those around me. So I began to think about this, and I began to look at this, and John F. Kennedy once asked us, he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Our country's got that mixed up now. We're beginning to ask what our country can do for us instead of what we can do for our country, and I think the church is beginning to ask the same question. I think we need to ask it this way. Ask not what the church can do for you, but ask what you can do for the church. We've gotten a mentality of what can the church do for me? What am I going to get out of going to church instead of asking what can I help the church do? How can I expand the kingdom of God? There's work to do. 100 million people, Jerry, in the United States don't, are unreached. 1.2 million, Tim Cronk, by the end of the year will leave the church. I mean, think about that statistic, you know, on average, 21,000 people per county. There's only 30-some thousand people in Pulaski County. It's mind-boggling. We should be heartbroken over this fact. We should be standing up. What do we got to do to make us great again? As I was thinking about that, nine things quickly jumped out of me, and if you follow me on Facebook, I posted them. I actually, I posted 10, but I shortened it this morning for time. We'll only do nine. First thing that we're going to have to do if we want to become great again, we have to pray. We can't do anything until we really pray. And, and I don't mean just pray. I mean pray. John Wesley said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. God will not move on our behalf until we get serious and seek his face and listen for his voice and ask him to move. It's time, church, that we get back to praying. I'm going to knock on the church of God for just a minute, and I can because I'm an ordained bishop. But every fall, and it's a running joke with most of us preachers, every fall in the church of God we do a prayer conference. Nobody prays. The church of God, we have a prayer conference every fall in Virginia. You go to the prayer conference, no one prays. We just go and listen to someone preaching. 
time that we get on our knees and get in our prayer closets, prayer, prayer closets, seek, seek God's face for the loss. There's nothing that moves God faster than someone praying for the lost, in my opinion. And your prayer closet works. I remember growing up in the Beckley Church of God. They didn't really have a, a teenage Sunday school class when we were going there. So me and my, 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 my now wife that we were dating at that time, we used to go sit in the senior adult Sunday school class. It's awesome. They treated us in, so incredibly well. They took us in and prayed for us and mentored us. And there's an incredible lady there by the name of Lou Lively. And I'll never forget, I was really struggling. I was struggling to decide what I was going to do about college, if I was going to work. I'm telling a quick story here. And she said, you know, if you really need God to move in your life, you need to get in your closet and you need to pray and seek his face. I said, okay, I can do that. So it's 18 years old. You know what I, when I, I James, I went home. I cleared out the bottom of my closet. I got in my closet and I cried out to God that I needed him to move. God, you're going to have to either magically give me $30,000 so I can continue my education or you're going to have to open up a door for me to get a job or, you know, that I can go full-time and me and Sherry will get married and we'll begin our life together. I walk out of that closet after praying for a couple hours. My mom came to check to see what was wrong with me because she heard me crying and just asking God to, to do what he was going to do. I walk out of that closet. Kenny, 15 minutes later, my phone rings. And it's, I was working part-time. I was working three part-time jobs and going to college. And it was the manager of Foot Locker that I worked with. He goes, hey, Todd, got a question for you. I just fired the assistant manager. Do you want the job? I need to know now. What? When we get serious and pray and seek God's face, he will answer our prayers. And so began my 20-year, almost 20-year career in retail. James 5.16 says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We quote this all the time, Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. If we want to become great again, B, it starts in the altar Prayer. Prayer. I, I, I can't remember how long the church in Brownsville play, prayed for a revival. Can't, I can't remember the exact number. But they stopped their Sunday night service and said, we're going to pray until God moves. And I, I remember the story, and, and, and we, we were gone a couple Sundays ago to go to Roanoke Valley Cathedral Praise. Pastor Harry, Bishop Harry Miller, after 50 years in ministry, who gave me and Sherry our start in ministry, gave us our first position, retired from ministry at 50 years. Pulpit in there, I'll tell the story this way because I remember this one. The pulpit in there is a gift from the church in Korea. Is it Sunny Cho? Is that, is that, is that his name, Sunny Cho? Through whatever connections, Pastor Miller became friends with him and was invited to go to his church and preach. So the furniture in Cathedral Praise is a gift from that church. But on there, 
if you ever notice it, the next time you're in that church, there's a little cross and it's a bell. It's a prayer bell. In Korea, they would gather a couple hours before church and begin to pray. And Pastor Miller tells the story of walking into the church, getting ready to pray, pray, and the place was covered with people praying and screaming and crying out to God so loud that they, would, they wouldn't even pay attention to when someone came to start service. So they had this bell on the pulpit, and when service was start, ready to see, they would take it and they would ring that bell to get the attention to let them know that it was time to start service. And they gave him one of those bells to sit on the pulpit there. And my question is this, when is the last time that we've gotten to church that we've prayed so hard and so loud that they had to pound the cymbals or beat on the keyboard, Tony, to get our attention that it was time to start service? And just in my opinion, if we want to become great again, We've got to begin to pray that way. And then after we pray and God begins to move in our lives, then we, the second thing that we need to do is pretty simple. We need to share the gospel. We have to share the gospel. Um, Lewis Drummond, who's a pastor, evangelist, and a president or former president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, said this. He says evangelism, or sharing the gospel, is an important task and a vital role for the believer to fill. As has been said, evangelism is not just the task of the church. It is its very nature. The whole purpose of the church is to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to a world that's lost and dying and broken and hurting. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Then I... I I saw this YouTube clip, and I don't know if anybody's seen it. I, I, somebody posted it on my first post. How many of you have seen the clip of Penn Teller talking about getting a Bible? Penn Teller. Do you all know who Penn Teller is? From, or Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller. His name is Penn Gillette. Do you all know who I'm talking about from Penn and Teller? You know the music? Penn is a very outspoken atheist. Very outspoken atheist. I mean, he will go on TV and debate people who are way smarter than me in, in their knowledge of theology and their faith and debate them because of his knowledge of atheism. You can go find this clip, and I, I, I jotted down paraphrasing what he said, but he, 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 they finished their show, he says, and he comes out and they do autographs and sign stuff, and he said there was a man standing over on the side who had some of the props from the show because evidently he was in the show, and they gave him the props, and he was standing there, and he waited till everyone was done, Penn said. And he said he'd come over to him, and he handed him a little Gideon Bible. and said, I want you to have this. He talked about how, how much he liked the show and this other stuff, and Penn is, at this point, he tells the story, and then he gives his response to this man giving him his Bible. 
And I'm paraphrasing. You can go watch the video on YouTube. Just search Penn Jillette gets a Bible. It said, and he said, if you believe there is a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not worth telling them because it would be socially awkward, how much do you hate someone to believe in eternal life and not share it with them? An atheist asks that question. How much do you hate someone that if you truly believe in eternal life and Jesus Christ, how much do we hate people not to share that with them? And he goes on to say, he says this, he says, if, there, if you were standing in the middle of the road and there was a truck barreling down at you and you ignored my warnings to get out of the road, he said, at a certain point, I will tackle you. He said, how much more important is you sharing eternal life? And when I watched it, I said, man, an atheist has this more figured out than I do. We've got to share the gospel of Jesus. Mark 16, 15, he said, he, Jesus, said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Romans 1, 16 says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. It's not a beautiful church building. It's not nice, good music that sounds great. It's not padded shoes, padded shoes, padded pews. I wish I had some padded shoes. You know, normally I'm more animated than what I am today. A couple weeks ago, I hurt my leg. I can't, I, I, I'm, it's an excruciating pain. And uh, so I, I'm not moving because every time I move, it hurts worse. So that's kind of why I'm stationary. And uh, so just because I really, I would be, I, it's, I'm telling you, this is inside of me now. This is, God has messed with me over months of, of we've got to get back to the basics. We've got to begin to share the gospel. If we truly want Jesus to come, then we need to be proactive and get busy sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and making an impact because, listen, he's not, as Pastor Travis said, Jesus Christ is not coming back for a weak and anemic church. He's not coming back for a sloppy, messy bride. He's coming back for a bride that is put together, has things in order, who's doing what he asked them to do. We've got to share the gospel. We've got to pray. And when I say pray, we got to really, really pray. Then we got to share the gospel. And then not only do we have to share the gospel, we have to be willing to listen to people's stories. I think we forget that sometimes. We want to sh- <laughs> shove the gospel down their face, and we want to tell them they need to get their lives right, and, or that they, but we, we fail to listen to their story. How can, we, how can we truly share the gospel with someone if we don't understand their story and where they're coming from? We can't. Because what got them there? I didn't, listen, when I was sinning, I just didn't end up in sin. There's a story behind it. And listen, for those of you that were in the Wednesday night class when I stood in front of you and I asked you to forgive me because I was so angry at this church. It just didn't happen. There's a story that goes along with it. 
We just don't end up there. And because someone took the time to listen to my story and listen to the pain and the hurt inside of me, Rosalie, it helped me find peace and it helped me recover and get back to the point where I'm not angry at you anymore and that I love you and that I care about you and I want to be a part of this body and this people. You've got to take the time to listen to people and hear their hurt and their pain. And then tell them, hey, I can't fix your pain. This is what the person told me. He said, I can't fix your pain. He said, I can't fix the hurt. I can't make your scars go away. But Todd, you know the one who can. Let it go and let him take care of it. And when I did that, it melted away. And I rediscovered my joy and my passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got to pray. We got to share the gospel. And we got to listen to other people's stories. I should not have gone down the steps. (laughs) Listen to someone else's story. And then we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. We do. I love what Tom Schultz said. He's a Christian author. He says this. It's likely that every day presents an opportunity for you to practice radical hospitality or being a good neighbor to someone with whom you cross paths. There's no shortage of people who could use the fit of a caring, welcoming person in their life. How awesome would it be in a time of need, the first thing people would say is, I need a Christian. If you expect to be that person, you'll be surprised at how often the opportunities come along for you to show love through radical hospitality. Tony, we got to love people. I was telling Tony in the office when he's printing off, I, I, I shot those statistics at him that there was 100 million people and there's 21,000 people on average in every county. And actually, if you do the math, there's 3,413 counties in the United States of America. And if you do the math that way, it ends up being 30-some-thousand per county that don't know the gospel, that have never heard, that are unreached. So you can, if you do law averages, it's somewhere in that ballpark, somewhere between 20 and 30,000 people per county in the United States, per population. Now, it's probably going to differ by counties because... Of you got some in the Bible Belt and stuff, but I, I, I did the statistics that way just so you could wrap your mind around how many people there really are lost and need Jesus. I mean, listen, the, the, the people asked Jesus, said, what are the greatest commandments? He said, what is the greatest commandment? The guy asked Jesus, and Jesus responded this way. He said, love your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And they said, and the second one is just like it. The two greatest commandments that Jesus ever said, one is love God, and I'll break it down this way, love people. Love God is number one, love people. Now, some of you have heard me say this, I love me a lot. And Rosalie, I'm pretty sure you love you a lot, right? There's nobody in here that really doesn't love yourself. Sean, I really like me. 
And a lot of times, my wife will tell you, I go to Toddland where the population is two, and the other guy looks just like me, and we hang out because I like me so much. Me agrees with everything I say. Me has the same opinion that I have. We like the same sports teams. So me and me like to hang out together. And if I love myself that much, not to, to, then I have to love the people around me that much. And it's hard. It's hard to love some people, Rosalie. And in full confession, it was really hard to love you guys when I came back here. Some of y'all are looking at me like, he just said that. Yes. And it, listen, let me say this. It wasn't your fault. It was mine. I just left some things get to me, that build up inside of me that was bitter. And I got mad at the whole church, but I really took it out on this church. I never said anything publicly out there about it or anything like that. I just, I was just angry. I'd avoid you if I saw you in the grocery store. I'm just but we can't love people if we don't love God. And if we love God, we got to love people. And now, if I see you in a grocery store or a restaurant, I'll talk to you. I like you. I love you. But that was my problem, not your problem. And when we have a hard time loving people, it's not their problem, it's my problem. One, they're not bothered by the fact that you don't love them. Or you have a hard time loving them. It bothers you. We've got to get back to the point that we're loving people. I mean, it's, it's, it's simple. Love God. I, it's such a simple statement. Love God, love people. But it is one of the hardest things in the world to do. Kenny, it is so hard to love someone who talks about you, who will slap you in the face, stick knives in your back, and just drag your integrity and your reputation through the mud it's hard to love that person. But Jesus did. Jesus loved me when I questioned his integrity and drug him through the mud. Jesus loved me when I nailed his hands to the cross. And if I love God the way I say I love God, then I've got to love people the way he loves them. You know, that song says, give me your eyes so I can see. Give me your eyes, God, so I can see people the way you see people. So we've got to pray. We've got to share the gospel. We've got to listen to someone else's story. We've got to love our neighbors as ourselves. Listen to what Galatians 5, 13 through 14 says. You, my brothers and sisters, we are called to be free. But don't not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. We were given freedom from our bondage, not to be able to go do what we want to do, but we were given freedom from our bondage so that we can love people and set them free. Because we don't, we don't, we don't hate people to the cross. We love them to the cross where they can find freedom. Amen? Amen. So we love our neighbors as ourselves, and then we serve others instead of wanting to be served. 
We, 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 we have a me mentality. We have a me mentality. What am I getting out of it? I mean, how many times have you asked yourself this question? I wonder if I'm going to get anything out of church this morning. I've asked myself that question. I don't even know if I should go. I'm not really going to get anything out of the message today. I'll just stay home. Because it's me. It's about me. It's about what I want. We have the London Tipton mentality from Zach and Cody. It's all about me. Yay, me. When it shouldn't be about us. Your pastor preached a very powerful message. I wasn't here for it, but I, 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 I've, I've heard the message that we need to trade our titles for towels. George Bush says this. He says, from now on, any definition of, of a successful life must include serving others. Each, 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. We've all been given a gift, and the reason we've been given that gift is so that we can serve other people. Faithfully, to finish the scripture, it says, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. I love what the message version of the Bible says in Matthew 23, 11. Cut and dry. Puts it very simply. It says this. Do you want to stand out? Then step down, be a servant. You want to make a difference? If we want to become great again, let's begin to serve people. Let's put other people first. Because Jesus put us first when he went to the cross. Share your fruit. I'm not doing on time. I left my phone down there, so I don't know what time it is. Ten till? Eight minutes to twelve. Okay, I'll get us out of here in eight minutes. Got a couple more points, but I'll get us out of here in eight minutes. So after, so we pray, we share the gospel, we, we listen to other people's stories, we love our neighbors, we serve others, then we have to share our fruit. We have to share our fruit. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives. You know, we get so excited about the, 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 the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we forget about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We all want to work in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we hate to use the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But we got to give our fruit away. Listen, we just didn't give this fruit, get this fruit to keep it to ourselves. We got this fruit so we could give it away. What are you talking about, Pastor Tom? I'm talking about love, joy, peace, forbearance. And I looked that word up because I didn't know what forbearance meant. And it means tolerance. Yeah, Kenny, I had the same look you did, tolerance. So I had this little conversation with God. I got to tolerate people? But then it went one step further. I mean, because then I hear tolerance and I go, I gotta tolerate sin. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, No. Now you don't have to tolerate sin, but you gotta tolerate the fact that people are gonna mess up. I said, What? He said, Yeah. He said, How do you think I felt about Peter? And he's a perfect example of Jesus being tolerant with somebody. Dude had it all messed up. He'd have it right 50% of the time, and then he'd have it messed up 50% of the time. And you know what? There's people in our lives who are going to have it right 50% of the time, and they're going to have it messed up 50% of the time. Just like I have it right 50% of the time, and, then, and I got it wrong 50% of the time. And we have to be tolerant with them and let them know that we still love them in the good times and in the bad times. Because if Jesus wasn't tolerant of Peter, then how in the world could he ever build his church on him? 
So we got to share our fruit, love, joy, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Show self-control, have self-control, restraint. When we want to jump down someone's throat for their political ideology, we've got to show self-restraint. We've got to give our fruit away. We can't be like the world. We've got to give our fruit away. Then we have to be moved with compassion. John MacArthur said this. He said, remember that even Jesus, that remember that even Jesus' most scathing denunciation, a blistering diatribe against the religious leaders of Jerusalem in Matthew 23, ends with Christ weeping over Jerusalem. Compassion colored everything he did. compassion for people even when they're messed up and they're living in sin and messed up sin we've got to have compassion for them hearts have to break love people Tony compassionate we can't just have compassion in this room I mean we have to have compassion outside of this room my question is, is this, have we become like the Pharisee and the Sadducee who, who walked past the man in the ditch who was beaten? Or are we compassionate like the Good Samaritan? We patch up his wounds. We carry him to a place where he can find healing. We've got to have compassion. And then something that goes right along with compassion is we've got to do good. It's one thing to be compassionate because the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. And then he did something about it. He healed people. And then the Bible says that everywhere Jesus went, he did good. And if we're truly followers of Christ, everywhere we go, we should be doing good. John Wesley says this, employ whatever God has entrusted you with in doing good, all possible good, in every possible kind and degree. We have to do good, Gene, wherever we go. Listen, the world has enough people who are doing evil things. It needs the church to have compassion and be good. And then finally, we have to be willing to give. Tony, you can come play. I'm finishing up. We have to give. Again, we can't always be on the receiving end. And I began thinking about this, and when we hear the word give, we immediately go to money. And it goes way beyond that. We have to give of our time, our talent, and our treasure. There's three components to that. We have to give inside of the church. Listen, there's gifts. There's people who are sitting in this church, in this physical church this morning, who are gifted, who aren't using their gifts inside of the church to make a difference. And not only do we have to use our, there, there's gifted people in here who are gifted teachers, who are gifted at administration, who are just gifted in all kinds of ways. But they need to give some of that talent back to the church and say, hey, Pastor Travis, I, I, I can help. I'm, I'm pretty good at this. 
And then when we decide to give, we can't do it and go, ah, guess I got to teach again. <sighs> no, God loves a cheerful giver. Give your talent cheerfully. If you're a gifted teacher, come to Sunday school cheerful. Cheerfully share your gift. And not only do we have to share our gifts inside the church, we have to share our gifts outside of the church. One of the greatest joys I had in my time in Pulaski was my ability to give my knowledge of sports as a coach in the rec department. Tony, it allowed me to impact so many young people's lives in a way, in families, in a way that I can't do from behind the pulpit. We've got to be willing to give our talents away out there. In our time. You know, I think about this. I think, you know what, I put, on average, I work 40 to 60 hours a week, depending on if I'm traveling. When you, when you, when you roll it all together. And if I use the 10% principle of, that it, for, of, of tithing on money, for every dollar I get, I get 10 cents back to them. So if I'm willing to give 60 hours a week for my job using my talents, then how come I'm not willing to give four to six hours a week for the church using my talents for him? Work to be done, church. It's 100 million unreached people in the United States of America. We're in March. Aren't we? Almost through March. Partway through March. Halfway through March. April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. There's nine months left in this year. Church, and in nine months, 1.2 million people are going to leave the church in the United States. Never to return. According to the statistics. great church isn't laying in bed in comfortable surroundings being complacent. James, a great church is putting our old tennis shoes on, a pair of jeans, going downtown, feeding somebody who's hungry. A great church is someone who comes here gets filled up, takes what they hear, applies it to their lives, and goes out into a world that's lost and dying. Takes the gospel, the good news. Jesus told his disciples, he said, go share, tell about all the things you've heard me say and you've seen me do. Gene, when's the last time we've gone out there and told about all the things we've seen and we've heard in this church? Someone going to make America great again, it starts inside the church. Listen, there's no politician. I don't care which one you're going to vote for. There's not a single politician that's going to make America great again. There's not one. The only person who's going to make America great again is Jesus Christ. 
And the only way Jesus Christ is going to make America great again is through His church, through His body, getting out of bed and reteaching ourselves how to crawl and how to walk and how to move. Yes, it's going to feel awkward and it's going to be strange. You know, when you, when, I, I, I'm just guessing, you know, if I had to reteach myself how to walk the first time I took a step, it's going to be strange. I can relate it to my mom because when my mom had her lung transplant, her brain, the doctors told us this, her brain, when she goes to sleep, knows that it lost its lungs and it's had something bounced put back in and that she would have nightmares about dying because she got new lungs. So she had to reteach herself that she could breathe and that she wasn't going to die, that the lungs that had been planted inside of her were going to work. The human body is incredible. But more incredible than that is the body of Christ when it comes together. When it comes together and says, we're going to fulfill our purpose. And we're going to begin to move. And yeah, they might be slow, sluggish steps to start with. And there might be some awkward conversations to start with. But it's like anything else, the more we do it, the more we move, the more we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more comfortable we'll become and the more natural we'll become. And and we'll just begin to see the opportunities that are all around us to be Christ to a world that's lost and dying. I want God, use me. Use me, God. Use me. Use the analogy of the story of the starfish. Use me to at least throw one or two starfish back in the ocean. I might not make a difference into all 100 million people, but I can make a difference in the ones that God puts in my path. And you can make a difference of the ones that God puts in your path. Just a moment. Tony's going to begin this thing, and I'm going to open this altar. It's a pretty simple altar call this morning. One is this, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today's your day. You can't, you can't, can't share the gospel. You can't do these things until you have a relationship with them. Maybe you're a part of the 100 million people that don't know Jesus Christ this morning. He's here. I believe he's speaking to your heart right now. He's revealing himself through the Holy Spirit. If that's you this morning, I want you to come down here. I'll be down here somewhere standing. Just grab me, flag me, ask me to come and pray with you can find Jesus this morning. And the second part of this altar call is, is simply a challenge. It's simply a challenge. If you accept the challenge this morning to become great, get back to the basics and we're going to go after the 100 million people. you accept that challenge this morning, I want you to come and join me in the altar this morning. And as you come to the altar this morning, I just want you to say, God, how can you use me? How can you use me? What can I do?